Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sports Masala. I'm back here with my brother, Gautam. Gautam, give us a hey. Hey. Thank you guys again for joining us. We are super excited this week to be talking about the awesome world of cricket and the IPL, which for a lot of our American audience is a new sport. So we'll be giving you guys the breakdown on how it works, how many people actually care, why the IPL is so popular, and some really, really interesting tidbits from Gotham on how you play and the best way to get people out. So without further ado, let's jump into our craziest things in sports. So first up this week is Derrick Henry going for over 200 yards again. This is like his fifth time going over 200 yards. And for a guy who is as big as he is, I mean, he's like over six foot, over 220. The guy outruns a bunch of really... (laughs) smaller skinny guys who should be able to catch him and he busts out for these like long 90 plus runs at least once a year yeah two years ago he put up a 200 burger against the jacksonville jaguars and then today he did it against the houston texans seems like he likes feasting on his division rivals and putting up 200 burgers on him how i wish i had him on my fantasy team but then again i got last pick so this is what happens you're just left with whatever's left. That is true. Oh. You did you did fine with Kamara. I'm lucky he fell that far. But, you know, every other guy's got injured and my team's still losing. So, great season so far. Woo. Let's go from NFL to actually the IPL, something we're going to talk about a little later today. And there was an amazing game between the Mumbai Indians and the Kings Eleven Punjab. And usually when we talk about a game and like, oh, it was a really close game. And then it went to overtime. And then usually after one overtime, NFL, the game's over. You just tie but not in cricket. And today we saw that both teams tied after 20 overs. They played a super over tied after that. So they went to a second super over and we saw some amazing fielding, some really close runouts and just an amazing game. The Kings 11 Punjab were finally able to see out that game and get a win over Mumbai Indians, but just an amazing game to watch. So that was one of the craziest things that happened. Awesome. So going from cricket to something that happened uh, at the end of last week, which was Nadal winning his 13th Roland Garros and 20th Grand Slam, tying him with Roger Federer for most all time. I know that we have some really close family friends. Shout out to RP Uncle, who is a huge Fed fan. But uh, I will have to say that I think at this point, Nadal is creeping up on the greatest of all time discussion, given that him and Fed are tied. I know they're close friends, but it's just it's one of the things which I think is never going to be seen in sports again. To win the same title 13 times is just out of this world. He's just so consistent at that Grand Slam for how many years? You know, you think, okay, after a couple of years, yeah, he just really loves the court. 13 years is sustained dominance. That is just absolutely remarkable. Full credit to Rafa. So in the last 20 years, I was doing some research and it looks like Rafa has won it 13 times since like 2000-ish. And in that time, only one woman has repeated as a Roland Garros champion. And that was Justine Ennin way back oh in the day. So that's a true blast from the past right there. Oh my God. We'll have to talk about some time about why the women's circuit, we keep seeing new title holders and why we don't see the same level of dominance. Well, consistent dominance that we do on the men's side of the circuit, but that's for another day. And let's go from amazing victories to amazing capitulation. 
And a big shout out this week to Chelsea and Tottenham for going up 3 nothing in their games and somehow managing to not come away with three points. Chelsea's defense, we all know, has been shambolic at times, and it's pretty clear to see that happen again. But Tottenham looked like they had everything going for them. They even brought on Gareth Bale. It was his second debut. He took a free kick. He got one-on-one with the goalie. And you thought, okay, this is Tottenham's day. They scored in the first minute. And somehow, some way, as I told you at halftime, dude, the Moisaya comes out and the game changes. And if you guys didn't see it, Manuel Lanzini's wonder strike in injury time to the top corner is just a piece of beauty. So go online, check it out. You don't often get to see amazing goals like that. But that was a great way to tie. But full credit has to go to Chelsea and Tottenham for full capitulation this week. So I guess uh, Jose Mourinho decided to stop parking his bus when he had a three-goal lead. And his Chelsea brethren decided the same, even though they've been a leaky faucet all year, too. That's that's what happens, guys. Don't get too, uh, too ahead of yourself or cut the chickens before they hatch, because you never know. You just never know. So from teams who capitulated to a team that absolutely obliterated their opponent. Clemson dropped 73 points on Georgia Tech. Trevor Lawrence also threw his first interception since October of 2019. I think Jimmy G's thrown more interceptions than Trevor Lawrence has thrown in two years. Um, given the injuries for the Niners, you know, they might be they might be in the running for the picks depending on how well uh, C.J. Beathard can play going forward. But 73 points... I mean, outside of a basketball game is just an insane scoreline. And it's the most points that Clemson have scored since 1915. So it's an absolute walloper. And I think Trevor Lawrence just took it personally that someone intercepted him and said that that was not going to happen anymore. True. And he was going after Russell Wilson's record for most passes without interception. But I want your thoughts on this quickly because everybody's talking the NFL. Tank for Trevor. Tank for Trevor. If the Jets get the first pick... Should he stay in school? Oof, that is a, that's a tough decision. I mean, they've released Le'Veon Bell. I don't see any bona fide wide receivers on their team. Their offensive line is atrocious. And literally Jamal Adams was like, I need to peace out of here. And the Seahawks, like any great defensive team, were like, sure, we'll take him. And they lost their best defender. I would feel for him immensely if he decided to come out and join the Jets because they will 100% take him with the first pick. I think there's already chatter about trading Sam Darnold before week eight, but there's no takers who want to give a first round pick for like interception prone quarterback. So if I were him, I don't know. How much does the money matter is the, is the ultimate question for him. Does he want it this year? Does he want to punt to next year? Who knows if the team he gets next year is even worse than the ones he got this year. I know plenty of players who have chanced it one more season and then got injured. And first top five pick money versus even like second round money is significant. So I feel like even if he doesn't want to, maybe he'll be like the next big quarterback for the Jets after Joe Namath. And it's been a minute since he played too. Absolutely. And I think it's always a struggle when you have a great college quarterback who comes in to a team that's just not ready. And we see it with so many teams, the Browns for how many years, the dysfunction in that organization. Teams where the quarterback looked good in college, and then he came to the NFL and he just didn't have the supporting cast he needed. So it's just definitely something to consider. Maybe he pulls an Eli Manning and says, I'm not going to play for you guys. 
would not but, su- would not surprise me at all given how good he is. But barring injury, I mean, if Tua could get picked at, you know, picked by the Dolphins, I doubt that anyone is going to pass up on him if they think it's the next coming of Andrew Luck, unless, you know, they know Trevor Lawrence is going to retire early too. Okay, fair enough. And with that, why don't we go ahead and move on to our cricket deep dive this week, because I'm just dying to talk to y'all about some cricket. It's great. I'm super excited about this. Gautam is our local resident cricket expert and fanatic. He gets up early on the West Coast to watch cricket matches and to watch the start of the IPL. And so... Gotham, for our American audience who doesn't know a ton about cricket, why don't we start with some basics about what are the rules, the players, how you keep score, and walk us through each of the positions. Okay, let's go ahead and get right into it. And we're going to start with what's the same across every team sport, and that's there's 11 players on both sides. Just like in baseball, there's a bowling team and a batting team. In baseball, you call that pitching and batting. In cricket, you call it bowling and batting. The big difference there is that baseball, you want to get it in the air right over the plate when you pitch the ball. In cricket, on the other hand, you want the ball to hit the wickets, which are these three stumps that the batsmen stand in front of. So instead of standing in front of an umpire and a catcher, they stand in front of the wickets and the wicket keeper. In any case, the goal of the game is pretty simple. You want to hit more runs than the opponent. It's like soccer. You just got to score more goals. Very basic. But you have to do that without getting out. Just like in baseball, there's a limited number of outs. The differences come in when you understand that in baseball, you bat once and if you get out, you just wait for the order to recycle and then you go up and bat again. Whereas in cricket, once you get out, you're out for the rest of the game. You don't get a second chance. So if you make one boneheaded swing and you get caught or you get clean bowl, you outie my friend, there's no recourse there. So you got a long walk back to the dugout. So just keep that in mind. Cricket is not just about physical strength, but also a lot about mental fortitude. You can't just swing the bat around wildly. You have to think and act much more contained aggression as opposed to just swinging it away. So how it works, though, is that there's a bowler. One of the 11 people on the bowling team run and they throw the ball. And there are two batsmen. That's confused a lot of people. But Realistically, only one of them is batting. The bowler will come down, he'll throw the ball, the batsman will hit the ball, and then he'll run to the other side. So in baseball, like how you have bases where you run from home plate to first base, you run from one side of the wickets to the other set of wickets. So there are two sets of wickets. And the batsman who's on the other side runs to this first side. So what they do is they keep running back and forth till the ball gets thrown back. And you have to be on the base or in the crease when the ball is thrown in, that way you're safe. If you're not in the crease by the time the ball comes back, they can hit the wickets and then you're run out. Same way in baseball, they get to the base before you get there, they just tag you, you're out. They tag the base, you're out. Same way in cricket. There are multiple ways to score runs. As we said, you hit the ball and then you run between the wickets or you get it out towards the boundaries. So as in baseball, you hit a home run. In cricket, there's also a boundary line. But unlike baseball, it goes 360 degrees around you. So you can hit the ball completely backwards and still get it to the boundary. It's not a foul ball. You can hit it anywhere. So that really opens up your shot selection. And if you hit the ball and it bounces before it gets to the boundary rope and then goes over it, that counts as four runs. And then if you really get a hold of it and hit it all the way over the boundary, like a home run, straight in the air, that's six runs. So you can imagine that... When you start hitting, you're really going to go for those boundaries. 
And a lot of T20 cricket, which is 20 over cricket, which is more the condensed game, really pushes you to get as many boundaries as you can because you can run between the wickets getting one, two runs every shot. But realistically, those boundaries are where you're going to make the meat of your runs typically. I want to go ahead and dive in a little bit into the three aspects of the game, which is batting, bowling, and fielding. This is to give a very basic understanding of how the game works to all you cricket fans out there. My apologies is this is too basic, but hopefully you can still take some enjoyment out of it and be interested in what I'm going to talk about next. But let's start with batting. As you mentioned, there's two batsmen. You hit the ball, you run to the other side, the other guy runs to your side, and then that guy's on strike. So when you're up to bat, it's called on strike. And the bowler bowl to you. So what you can do typically is if you alternate straight where you hit one run and you switch places, you hit one run, you switch in other places, keeps the bowler guessing. So if you have a righty and a lefty, they have to bowl to a righty first ball and the second ball, they have to bowl to a lefty. So it makes it more difficult, but it's also a way to get into a rhythm, right? You have a partnership that you build up with your fellow batsmen. When one guy gets out, the next guy joins and they start a new partnership. Batting and cricket is all about developing solid partnerships where you can lay a foundation to score a ton of runs. As you get used to batting out there on the surface, you learn how the ball is bouncing. You can see if it's going to bounce high, bounce low, what the track looks like, and it makes it easier to bat. In baseball, the ball comes straight over the plate and it doesn't really it doesn't bounce or do anything else. Whereas in cricket, the ball can bounce and then it can do a multitude of different things. So people ask, why don't you just throw the ball really hard at the wickets? Yeah, that's called throwing it full toss. That's a horrible idea because the ball just travels then. And if it swerves a little bit in the air, it's so easy to read the flight of the ball. As opposed to in cricket where if you bounce the ball typically, it can do so many different things as it bounces off the pitch. And as I've kind of alluded to here, the field that cricket is played on is called a pitch. So that's the center part where they bowl the ball and they hit the ball. In batting, there are plenty of different strokes that you can hit. You can hit it to the onside, you can hit it to the offside, you can hit it through covers, you can hit it, you can hit a sweep, you can hit a helicopter shot. There are many different shots. And I could sit here at ad nauseum and talk to you about every different cricket batting stroke, but we're not going to do that today because that's just a waste of your time. Go watch some videos on it online, take a look. It's absolutely amazing to see just the multitude of shots that you can actually hit. It's not where baseball were, you kind of just swing. You know, I'm sure there are people who are going to say, yeah, you know, you can try to hit the right field, left field. You want to ground, you want to fly ball. But realistically, the amount of shot selection you have in cricket is just much wider. We're going to move on to bowling now. And in bowling, your job is to either get the ball to hit the wickets when you bowl it or to catch the guy out. That's pretty standard as with baseball, right? If you strike him out or he gets caught in the field, makes sense. But in fact, there's a third way to get someone out in cricket. And actually, there's a fourth way to get someone out in cricket. And wait, there's a fifth way to get someone out in cricket. The fifth one is a run out, which also happens in baseball. But the third and fourth ways are special. So the third way is something called leg before wicket, LBW. So if you bowl the ball and it bounces and it hits the batsman's pads, because everybody wears pads when they're batting because it's a super hard ball that they use in cricket. And if it hits you, you can break your leg or be just really hurt by it. So everybody wears pads and even then it hurts. My advice, do not throw a cricket ball really hard at someone. That's just a lawsuit and damage waiting to happen. In any case. Sounds like you've had some personal experience with that. No, but it really hurts to catch. So I know the feeling <laughs> that season ball. Um, in any case, LBW occurs when you go to hit the ball and you whiff. You don't touch the ball at all with your bat and the ball bounces and it or straight directly hits your pads. 
Now, if your pads are right in front of the wickets, right in line with them, you're essentially blocking the wickets. And that's not allowed. You can't do that. You can hit the ball, but you can't just block it with your legs. That's not, that's unacceptable. And in that case, if it was obviously going to hit the wickets it carried through, that's LBW and you're out. Spinners are notably famous for trying to get people out that way because the ball will bamboozle the batsman and he won't know where it's going. The fourth way to get out is something called hit wicket. You don't see it that often. And it's really hard to give an analogy to baseball because you don't really get out this way. You have wickets, and on top of the three wickets that you have in cricket, there are things called two bales. That's how you tell if someone got out. One of those bales will fall off. What happens is you take a step back to get deep into the crease because you want to hit a late shot, and then you accidentally hit the wickets over yourself. So the bales just fall over because you hit them. And if you do that when trying to hit a stroke, you're out. So I hope you guys remember at the beginning where I told you that if you get out, you're done for good, right? And hitting yourself out seems like the dumbest way to get out. It's a long, long walk back to the pavilion. So whatever you do, try not to get out and hit as many runs as possible. But in bowling, there are multiple types of bowlers, right? There are people who are going to run really fast and throw the ball as hard as they can. Well, throw is a not the, probably the correct term. Pitch the ball, bowl the ball as best as they can towards the stumps. And those are called fast bowlers. Then there's medium pace bowlers who, you guessed it, bowl with a medium type of speed. You may wonder, why would you bowl slower than the faster ones? What's the impact? Well, sometimes the speed variation causes concerns to the batsmen if they're used to seeing fast bowlers. Also, two, it's really hard to bowl really fast. And three, sometimes you can get a different pitching reaction of the ball if you bowl at a slower speed. So these are all reasons why you would bowl medium pace bowler or a fast pace bowler. And another reason why we would bowl a medium pace bowler, sometimes in the middle innings, as people get tired or as you just need more bowlers, most people can typically bowl at medium pace and it still allows you to keep bowling with a good efficacy and good attempts to get some wickets. So Gautam, it sounds like there are an unlimited number of bowlers who can bowl? Is that can can all eleven fielders bowl? Well, ten out of the eleven fielders can bowl. So, as in baseball, baseball is a catcher. In cricket, there's a wicketkeeper. He cannot bowl. He has to stand behind the wickets and catch the ball if it goes through, or try to stump the guy out. Oh my God, I forgot there was a sixth type of way to get out. If you stand and you bat and you step out of your crease and you whiff at the ball and it goes through the wicketkeeper. He can hit the stump since you're outside the crease and you're out. That's a sixth type of way to get out. Sorry, that's called getting stumped. Oh, memory is failing me. Too young of an age. It's okay, buddy. We're getting old. Oh, boy. But that's not all in terms of types of bowlers, though. We have fast bowlers. We have medium-paced bowlers. Then we have spin bowlers, a completely different type of bowler. Who instead of using pace to try to get someone out, like Arnaldo Chapman, who's just going to throw fastballs, these guys use their fingers and their wrists to get the ball to break as it bounces and really cut. I think all of us oldies over here think of Shane Warne with his spin. Or we think of Harbhajan Singh and his off spin. Or Muttaya Murlidharan from Sri Lanka. Oh, absolutely. We have seen some great spinners in cricket. And it's a completely different type of bowling style, bowling motion almost to some degree. And it really can change the game. Right now you see Rashid Khan, leggy from Afghanistan, absolutely dominating at times with his leg spin. 
And typically, especially in limited overs cricket, spinners can get hit for a ton of runs because the ball is coming so much slower. You step to the pitch of the ball, and as long as it doesn't spin too much initially, you can just hit. Whereas in fast bowling, it's a lot harder because the ball is coming much quicker. But if you get the right amount of spin, you can get people to take a little nick and catch them right out. So different types of bowlers in cricket, spin bowlers and pace bowlers. Definitely is important to know how to use them and how they're deployed as you play through a cricket match. Lastly, let's go to fielding. And fielding in cricket is pretty much how you would see in baseball. You catch the ball when it comes to you, the air, you throw it back to the bowler, throw it back to the wicket keeper. You want to make sure they don't get any more runs. Very simple. I think in cricket, fielding is sometimes a team effort because sometimes when you're near the boundary rope, if you touch the boundary, it's considered outside the boundary. So if you catch it, but your foot is touching the boundary line, it's six. It doesn't matter that you caught it, you're touching the boundary. Same way if you, if you hold it and you run over the boundary, yeah, that's still four runs. It's like in that old movie, Lagan, where the guy thinks he's caught out Amir Khan on the last ball, and then everyone shakes their head at him, and then he looks down, and he's past the, he's past the boundary line, and he loses the match. I think that's one of like the most epic moments that we remember as as kids growing up. Oh, such a classic moment. And another guy was throwing gasapati balls on the ground. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Those are great times. Great times, buddy. Great times. But in fielding, right, if you're about to go up that line, as long as you hop up and you don't touch the line, you can throw it back to another defender for almost like what you call a relay catch. In any case, fielding is very basic. It just hurts a lot. As someone who's played out in the field, often at long on, deep square leg, extra covers. Sometimes when that ball is coming down, it hurts when you try to catch it. And I think like pretty much every other cricketer around, I've definitely dropped my fair share of catches in the field. Not for lack of trying, but dang, it hurts. It's traditional Indian style fielding. That used to be the case. Yes, that used to be this common stereotype. Indian fielding, very poor. Nowadays, I can say it's definitely gotten better. But you definitely have those moments here and there. And it is just, oh, painful. But you know what? We all understand. So Gautam, you said some terms there, long on. So Gautam, you used some terms there like long on and extra covers. That sounds like something I would buy at a mattress store. Can you give our listeners some context as to where on the field you were standing when you're talking about those things? Yes, and actually, I think we're going to talk about some of those in our jargon corner today. But we can talk about long off and covers. Basically, if you're looking out straight in front of you at the bowler who's running right at you, I want you to turn to essentially 2 o'clock. And if you hit the ball there, that's kind of the direction of where covers is. So in cricket, there's actually an inner circle and an outer boundary circle. As in baseball, you have the infield and the outfield. In cricket, you have inside the inner circle and then outside the inner circle. When I said long off, you're thinking about, if you're looking straight out at the bowler, you're thinking about one o'clock, but as far as you can go to the boundary. So if I get a nice shot and I hit it super high and it's about to clear the rope, but it's only about like four feet on top of the rope, well, guess what? I'm standing there long off, about to catch you out. Even though you hit a great shot, I'm there to catch you out. Third man is a little bit more difficult of a position to describe because it's not seen in baseball. Essentially, is if you're looking at the bowler, you're hitting the ball around five o'clock. So you're hitting it behind you and to the right. Imagine you're there and third man is halfway between the boundary rope and the inner circle. 
So you're getting a lot of power on this shot, but it's a late cut shot that you're hitting pretty fine. So those are some of the positions. We're gonna talk a little bit more about them in our jargon corner, because all of these positions sound absolutely wonky and not intuitive. So as we talk about fielding and then being able to hit behind the wickets, which I think is a really different concept that we're trying to communicate here. That's where the third man comes in because you have an option to hit not just anything in front of you. So it's not the one, not just the 180 in front of you, but the 180 degrees behind you as well. Yeah. And there's a type of shot you can hit as a batsman called a sweep where actually you're trying to hit to your leg side. So if you're standing, the bowler's coming right at you, you're going to hit essentially to your eight o'clock. And last bit about fielding is that in limited overs cricket, and I think every form of cricket, at any point in time, you have to have a certain number of fielders within the inner circle. And this is to prevent the team from just putting everybody in the boundary and preventing them, the batting team, from hitting bound. That changes actually over the course of a match. So what you do is in the first couple overs, there's like a power play typically where there's a limited number of people. There's only like two that can be outside the inner circle. And as the game goes on, sometimes that'll expand to three, four, even five. And a cricket game is a dynamic game, so it changes as we go along. One thing I failed to mention at the beginning is the concept of overs, which is an extremely crucial part of a match of cricket. In baseball, you have an inning, which is just three outs. Once those three outs happen, you're done. In cricket, an inning is 10 wickets, or how many overs you've decided to play. And that's where it comes in consideration what an over is. A bowler bowls six balls in an over, and you cannot bowl the same bowler every over. So you have to alternate. So if me and my brother are bowlers, I'd bowl over number one, he'd bowl over number two, and then I could go ahead and bowl over number three. I think that's enough about the basics of cricket now. Why don't we talk about the sport at large for a little bit? So we just talked a lot about the basics of the game, how it works, who are the players, how you hit the ball. Now, why don't we talk about why you should care? How many people actually follow this game and how big is it around the world? Well, that's a great question. And I think all of our audience out there, a lot of them may struggle with the response because according to some reports, about 2.5 billion people follow cricket, making it the second most followed sport in the world behind soccer. And for our American viewers, that may just boggle your mind. That's a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of people. The NFL only has around 400 million people following. Cricket has 2.5 billion. That's billion with a B. So extremely popular game worldwide in a lot of countries, especially old English colonies where the game was originally introduced. And given that 2.5 billion people follow it, there must be a lot of money at play here. Oh, it is. And each of the tournaments that go on are worth billions and billions of dollars. In fact, the IPL, which we're going to talk about a little bit more today, which is the Indian Premier League, which is essentially a two-month competition. It's only a two-month competition. Figures are estimated that the IPL, as of 2019, was worth $6.5 billion. Again, that's a billion with a B. So it is a lot of money that's at stake in all these cricket tournaments. You have the Australian Big Bash League. You have leagues in the Caribbean. You have also international tournaments that go on throughout the year, like the Ashes, which is a long-standing series between England and Australia. So there is a ton of money involved in cricket. So if you're interested, go look up more. So one thing that we've talked about a lot throughout your breakdown was this concept of 
different types of overs and different types of matches. So maybe you can give us a breakdown of kind of the main types of cricket matches that exist out there and kind of the shift into the kind of new age game that we've seen within the last 10 years or so. Absolutely. And a remark for our listeners out there, there's no such thing as a different over. All overs are six balls. Unless you throw a no ball where you get to have to bowl an extra one or you throw a wide where you have to bowl an extra one. All overs are six balls to start. But there are different types of matches. And some of the most popular ones are T20 matches, which are 20 over matches where each side will bowl 20 overs or until the other team is all out. There's a 50 over match, which is considered basically the one day international standard. So it's a standard full day match, essentially. Could take probably eight hours to complete. And the last one is a test match. And this is where cricket has gotten a bad name, especially in America, because they're like, oh, doesn't a cricket match last like five days or something like that? Answer your question is kind of. <laughs> a five day test match means that there's no over limit, technically speaking. You're basically bowling to get the other team out. And both teams get two innings. So they essentially, they get 20 outs before the, their side are done batting. So they bat 10, they bowl to the other side out, then they bat again, and the other team bowls again. Fairly simple. The reason why they allow for that long is because sometimes people are able to stay at the crease and not get out. And because of the lack of the over requirement that you can just keep hitting and batting for as long as you really want until you get out, it doesn't really support a quick game. However, that being said, these matches are not played like 24-7 or in this case 24-5 for a five-day match. You know, you would start at 11 a.m., you play a little bit, you're going to break for lunch, you're going to come back and play a little bit, you're going to break for drinks, you're going to come back and play a little bit and then you'll go off for dinner and you'll come back the next day. So you're realistically only playing for like seven hours in the day over a couple of day span. So realistically... Yes, the game can technically go on for five days, but it can also end a lot quicker if you get the other team out. So all those people who are complaining that it takes too long, it takes too long if you can't get them out. So get your best bowlers, go get them out, lickety split. Great. Thank you so much, Gautam, for breaking down cricket for us. Now I know we've been wanting to talk about the IPL for a while here, and here's our chance. Let's chat through some of the best highlights from the IPL season so far. Oh, there, there are too many highlights to just try to go through. And if you want to watch highlights from each of the matches, go to IPLT20.com. And you can watch the highlights from every match this year. But for all you guys out there, the IPL consists of eight teams from across India. You have the Delhi Capital, the Mumbai Indians, the Royal Challengers of Bangalore, the Kolkata Knight Riders, the Sunrisers of Hyderabad, the Kings 11 Punjab, the Chennai Super Kings, and the Rajasthan Royals. And we have seen some absolutely amazing hitting this year in the IPL. There have been so many runs. And actually this year it's being hosted in the UAE, not India, due to challenges due to COVID. The tournament was actually supposed to happen in April, May timeframe, but due to COVID, it got pushed. And then in India, they were unable to secure a bio bubble, especially because they'd have to travel all across India. So instead they moved it to the UAE this year where they're able to secure certain stadiums and make sure they have a bubble such that the players can play. Because as we all know, the IPL and cricket is a money-making business a lot of times. And being able to host the IPL means so much ad revenue and so much revenue in general for those owners and teams. So the show must go on. 
with or without fans, the IPL is definitely a money-making endeavor. So most highlights are pretty game-centric. We've seen some amazing catches that have happened this year. And it's hard to describe them unless you just go see them. We've seen some amazing hitting. See Chris Gale just coming back the last couple of games and playing amazing. We've seen Faf Duplessis really light it up as well. And some of the bowling has just been amazing. If you're looking for two fun bowlers to watch, look for Jofra Archer and Kogisko Robata. Man, they have been lighting it up this year, taking wickets at unprecedented halls, especially Kogisko Robata, man. I think he is a leading wicket taker right now in the IPL. And looking at the standings table right now, we can see how teams are doing. We have the Delhi Capitals and the Mumbai Indians who are up at the top of the table, whereas we have the Chennai Super Kings and the Rajasthan Royals who are at the bottom of the table. This is sort of what we'd expect from the Mumbai Indians. Um, definitely a strong team which has a history of winning. It's not really what we expect from the Chennai Super Kings since they're captained by Captain Cool MS Dhoni and have been perennial winners in the IPL. But I think this year they've lost a couple tough games and some tough decision-making near the end of them, which has cost them. But there's still some games in the season left. There's still a chance they could rise up the tables and make it in the playoffs. Riders than Royals, I'm afraid, have been bottom feeders for many years in the IPL. And that's just continued on again this year as well. But I think if we look at the table, teams five through eight have all won three games and lost six. So... Is anybody's game at the bottom of the table, at the top of the table? We sort of see the Delhi Capitals, the Mumbai Indians, and Royal Challengers Bangalore starting to separate from the pack. So it'll be interesting to see how this IPL season plays out. My hope is the Mumbai Indians win it all. So we're going to move from the highlights of the IPL season so far to something that is sadly very prevalent in the world of cricket, which is cheating and bribery just within the last couple seasons there have been a lot of instances of tampering with the ball paying umpires and things of that like and the game getting politicized and i wanted to get your take out them on why that happens and how do we eliminate that from the game so that people can just enjoy it for for how amazing it is as a sport this is always a tough subject to talk about because you never want to point the finger directly at people, right? Because then they get very offended. But I think with like the Steve Smith, David Warner cheating scandal down in Australia a couple of years ago where they were clearly found to tamper with the ball. Yeah, every team is trying to do what they can to get ahead. Just like the Patriots who deflate their balls times and videotape other people's sidelines. Yeah, you're not supposed to, but it's only cheating if you get caught, right? It's a terrible way to look at it. I do not support that into the notion at all but it's realistically how it works in every professional sport right you keep doing it until you get caught yes it's prevalent at times in cricket simply one because of how much money is at stake as soon as those sums of monies get to the level which they are there are a lot of people invested and they want to make a profit they don't want to lose so they're going to be motivated by that to do whatever it takes to not lose money and to make as much as possible now i think there are As in all games, there are little things that people do which are in that gray area, like like Jordan Pickford sort of scuffing up the penalty spot before Iceland guy went to take his penalty, which is not really legal, but is it really illegal? Same way, you know, working on the pitch a little bit, you know, 
kind of checking it out. It's funny I think about this because there's actually a, another way to get someone out, and that's when the bowler is coming down to bowl, and the runner, who's on that side of the stumps, decides to step outside of his crease with his bat. The bowler can choose to stop bowling and stump the guy at the other wickets. It doesn't happen very much. It's not very polite gamesmanship-wise either. It's like if there's a guy injured down on a soccer pitch and you guys just keep going, um, or they're they're all like pointing at something else and you just shoot from long distance and make it. But technically it counts. We saw that, I think it was last year, with uh, David Warner. They could not get him out, and they had him at the non-striker's end, and he decided to creep out a little bit. Ravish and Ashman was smart, saw that, and stumped him and got him out that way. But it's crazy the things that can happen in cricket. And I, unfortunately, I think a lot of the cheating and bribery is driven by that need to win and the amount of prestige that's associated with it, especially in a lot of these countries, countries like India and Australia, where this game is so big, where kids don't dream about becoming an NFL star or even a soccer star. They dream about being a cricket star. And the fame associated with that is like being a god almost in India. MS Dhoni for how many years? Sachin Tendulkar, now Virat Kohli. They're basically immortalized because they play cricket. You know, you could be Aaron Rodgers and yeah, you're in a bunch of commercials and people think, okay, you're a great quarterback. But it is nothing compared to the love and devotion almost that's given to players like Virat Kohli who are captain of India. They're the pinnacle of the pinnacle. Everybody wants to be them, but that also breeds the bad thing of they need to keep the reputations up as well. And when things don't go well, thankfully, it's not like olden days where someone's house was going to get burned down. Yeah, I remember back in the day, there was an India-Pakistan match and whichever side lost the next day, there would just be riots. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a sport and you hope that people show a modicum of respect for for the winners and losers. Let's hope that the next generation can emulate a little less rowdy, shall we say, spirit when it comes to winning and losing the game. We can always hope. All right. So why don't we wrap up our discussion on cricket and the IPL with your predictions for the IPL winner this year? Who do you think is going to come out on top here? Oh, this is a tough one. (sighs) You know, intrinsically, I just want to say Mumbai Indians because that's my team that I've supported, you know. Good heritage from Mumbai. Delhi has played very well. And you can never really write CSK out. Just the sheer experience. You know, RCB has never done it. Ah, I think it's going to be another year where they don't do it. So you know what? Let's let's put it all in Mumbai. Let's hope they win it again this year. Nohit Sharma, or Rohit Sharma. <laughs> Hopefully we'll lead that team to another IPL title. Nice. Let it be known that Gotham 2 has his favorite teams and will select them to win uh, as I did with my beloved Lakers and them winning the NBA championship. That's true. That is a prediction that came true. So great job. That's our first one of the year. Because we're keeping score, right, bro? No. (laughs) Exactly. I already won that game many years ago. You coming back now is like getting a touchdown in garbage time when you're down 73 to 7. That's fair. As you can tell, he is the brother out of the two of us. But uh, 
Thank you, bro, for that awesome, lively discussion about the IPL and cricket. We hope some of our American fans who haven't had a chance to watch any will go and check out some awesome highlights about cricket and see why we're always buzzing about the topic and especially the IPL when it comes around every year. Our next segment, which we also love to do, is the Jargon Corner. Today, it's going to be focused on cricket, and Gautam is going to give us a solid breakdown on some of these topics. I will try to do a little bit of a lead-in, and Gautam is going to explain to us what all of these terms mean. So without further ado, let's start with the first one, Gautam, here. The first one is slip, typically associated with a banana peel or water or running on a wooden floor with socks on. How does this have any relevance to cricket? Can you give us a hint? I can, but first I gotta ask you a question. What do you call the period of time between slipping on a banana peel and hitting the floor? Regret. The banana second. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay, after that joke, why don't we get to actually what a slip is? The term slip comes from a wicketkeeper's desire to see the batsman slip. So in case he doesn't really play the right shot that he wants and it just get, nicks off his bat, but goes slightly further than the wicketkeeper, the wicketkeeper will put a couple slips next to him. That way, when the batsman slips up a little bit and nicks the ball, they're there to catch it. So that's what a slip is in cricket. Got it. So kids, it's not about falling on the ground. It's about being in position to take advantage of the batsman's error. Great. The next term that we have on our list is gully. Typically, I would, uh, Appa would tell us, you know, Patti or Grandmom would live down the gully in, in Andheri, but uh, I figure that has nothing, that type of gully has nothing to do with, uh, with the cricket gully. Not really. The gully is the, basically, it's the gap between your furthest slip and point. So back in the old days, when batsmen used to hold their bats, the front of the bat is faces the leg side. And on the other side of the bat, there's a point. And that point will point directly out. So essentially, you're three o'clock as a batsman. So between three o'clock and the wicketkeeper, who's at six o'clock, right? That's point and wicketkeeper. Now, your five o'clock is probably a slip. So between that three and five o'clock angles, right, there's a little hole there, which if you get the ball into is great, right? Beat a lot of the fielders. But that's why you put someone in there called the gully. Great. So definitely not Pati's Andheri gully for sure. Not really, no. Great. So the next one is silly point, which I can't believe is actually a term in cricket, but I feel like you'll have a good way to... Good way to tell people about this. (laughs) Yes, we do. The silly is just a descriptor. We have different positions based on how far away you are from the batsman. So if you're a deep cover, you're all the way on the boundary, essentially, but in the cover's position. If you're in covers, you're right there, right? There's long off and there's mid on. Long being at the boundary, mid being just at that inner circle. Now, silly is if you stand so close that it's actually kind of silly that you're standing there. You're that close to the batsman. And as we just mentioned about point being a three o'clock, silly point is you're not at the inner circle. You're almost very close to the batsman. So sometimes some spin bowlers will want a guy at silly point because the ball will bounce and that's what's happening. And they're just going to try to play a defensive shot, but it could nick off and there's someone right there to catch it. 
who's kind of in front or right to the side of the batsman. So that's what silly point is. Silly just kind of describes the distance away from the batsman that a fielder is. If you've ever played a cricket video game and you pick a fielding option with a silly point, you'll see the guy wearing a helmet because you honestly do not want to be that close to a guy if he's going to hit the ball through <laughs> through With through such point, a big, heavy bat. <laughs> you, it will hurt. So the last two that we have here, this sounds like someone has applied some sort of, you know, peanut butter or super glue to the wicket. It's the sticky wicket. And that seems like a problem if someone is trying to stump a guy because then your hands get stuck to the wicket. But I don't think that's it either. Yeah, I agree. That's not it. A sticky wicket is basically a term that's used to describe a difficult situation. It's actually used in colloquial British English to describe that a sticky situation that you're in. It's kind of difficult. I think it originated in cricket where you have a damp, soft pitch. So in cricket, if you have a nice hard pitch, the ball is going to bounce really well off the surface. If you have a damp pitch, the ball is not going to bounce as high. It's going to really slow down the, how fast the ball is moving. So it's a little hard to play on as a batsman and also as a bowler because you can't really generate the pace in. Then it comes down to really what the ground does and if it's actually going to bounce. Because if it's soft, it won't really go up as high. So it's a difficult pitch to play on, especially for a batsman. So that's why we call it a sticky wicket. All right. Well, the last one sounds pretty familiar. I mean, I have a lot of friends who uh, work at Google and the last term here we have is googly. So do people who work at Google get a special title for when they play cricket called Uh, googlies? I'm sure they wish they did, but no, unfortunately a googly is not someone who works at Google and plays cricket. A googly is actually a type of bowl. So what happens is typically leg spinners will bowl the ball to the batsman's legs and ask it to cut in a certain direction away from them or into their body if they're bowling it on the leg side. But what a googly is, is the opposite of that. So the leg spinner will bowl a ball, but it'll bounce the other way. So if I'm going down the pitch and I'm bowling a leg spin ball, I bowl it and I expect it, if it's a right-hander, to cut left. Now, instead, if I bowl a googly, I'm going to bowl the ball in the same spot, but it's going to bounce right instead. So that's a googly. So it really is a change up to what they expect, right? Because typically you're just going to change how much you spin, the length of your ball, and the speed of your ball. But in this case, you're actually going to change the type of ball you're bowling. So it's like throwing a curveball, but throwing it the opposite way, getting it to curve the opposite way. It is the ultimate change up and a really difficult shot to hit. Unless, of course, you decide to reverse sweep, which can be done and has been done a lot in the IPL, as you'll see if you watch the highlights. Awesome. Well, thanks for breaking all of those terms down for us and the audience, bro. I know that they definitely appreciate that. And when they're watching the highlights, they'll be thinking of you. So let's move to our last segment of the day, as we usually have it, which is trivia. Last time when we were on, we asked the following question and Gautam came up with the answer. Let's see. Gautam, you want to run us back on the question from last time? The fastest goal scored in Premier League history came in 7.69 seconds. Who scored it? And if we go back into the vault from last week, rewind, 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 I believe my guess was Shane Long for Southampton. But let's find out this week, folks. Was I right or was I right? 
Well, Gautam, you'll be pleased to hear that you have added one point to your tally from your other half point from the episode before that. That Woo! is correct. Shane Long for Southampton against Watford in 2018. He scored the first goal in 7.69 seconds. Very nice. I would expect nothing less from you, bro, the soccer fanatic out of the two of us, to, to know that off the top of your head. Ah, oh, such good memories. Let's see if you can keep that streak going with another question in another favorite sport of yours, cricket. In which year was the first reported cricket match in the USA? Oh, that's a tough question. My cricket trivia knowledge is nowhere near my soccer trivia knowledge, so it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, well, the U.S. was an English colony, so chances are they brought over cricket pretty early. And seeing as Americans don't really care about cricket too much, it seems, it was probably before we became an actual country, because after that, they stopped caring about all the British stuff, right? So something between 1680 and 1776. All right. So for those interested in participating, we'll be throwing up a poll this week on social media. So definitely get in and participate. We'll be revealing the answer on our next episode. Thank you all so much for joining us here today. We really appreciate it. Next time on Sports Masala, we'll be chatting about tennis, Roland Garros, and the Grand Slams upcoming in the next season. We hope you guys stay tuned, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. And remember, you can get Sports Masala wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, Gautam. Really appreciate you, bro. Anytime, Anna. Have a good night, folks. <laughs>